If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out of blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is hour number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 10, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world. Turned completely, totally, 100% upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. In hour number two, I am very much looking forward to our interview, as promised, with Democratic Congressman from Louisville, Kentucky, John Yarmouth, a very good and old friend of mine. And I'm a little um, concerned about this interview because... um, John has said some things this week about the potential of uh, impeachment for President Donald Trump that uh, I could be wrong, but this may be the most by far contentious interview I've ever done with John, and I've done many, many over the years. We may have a very, very bizarre, upside-down world situation where in hour number two, an ardent, long-term Reagan conservative is trying to convince a very liberal Democrat that he's wrong about not wanting to impeach a Republican president. That's the world we're now living in, folks, but that's what's likely to happen in hour number two. Uh, But uh, sometimes we do hour number two before we do hour number one through the magic of recording. But uh, today is not that day. So uh, I cannot uh, give you a preview of what's going to happen other than my anticipation. But regardless of... What happens, I guarantee it's going to be good and very much worth your listen because we're living in a world now where liberals and conservatives can't communicate at all. And John and I have a rapport where we're at least able to do that, at least as of now, maybe not after the interview. We'll see. And By the end of the day, that might have changed. But uh, this has been a very eventful and uh, for me and many other people here in Southern California, a horrendously shitty week. Uh, and it's not just for the obvious reasons. Um, you know, this is pales in comparison to other things that have been going on. But uh, I've been having health issues. I've got a very bad cough, which I'm sure will uh, rear its ugly head during this uh, podcast. I can't shake it. My wife got news this week that uh, could be far, far more serious on a health front. And is she is convinced that she has a very, very serious health situation. In the midst of this, through a massive bureaucratic snafu, which I'll probably talk about later in the hour, we lost our health coverage 
temporarily. Thankfully, it has been restored, but the insanity uh, that that has caused has been unbelievable. Obviously, there was the uh, shooting this week of uh, 12 innocent people and, and the uh, killer in Thousand Oaks, which is very close to where we live in Ventura County. A couple of the victims were from the small town where we live uh, in Ventura County. I'll talk about that. Uh, there has been fire throughout the very same area uh, that has been devastating and as we speak is still going on. Uh, and many people have lost their homes. Some, some people have lost their lives. Uh, personally, uh, I have a rental property where much of our monthly income comes from, which is right in the heart of the uh, fire section in Calabasas, Kardashian country. Uh, as of right now, I believe that that uh, rental property is still standing, but uh, the next couple of days are going to be very, very dicey with the Santa Ana winds coming back up. Uh, just to give you an indication, just a very small indication, just how incredibly dry it is here. I actually have a bloodied left elbow for no other reason than the fact that my skin was so dry that it cracked and caused bleeding. And I don't have particularly dry skin, but that's how insanely dry it is right now because of the uh, Santa Ana winds. Luckily, today, on Saturday, those winds have died down, giving the firefighters at least a chance, a fighting chance. But the next couple of days are supposed to be very bad, and I think all bets are off uh, once that starts to happen again. But obviously, from a national perspective, the big story this week was the midterm elections. That's why we're doing kind of a special edition of the World According to Zig podcast today as a review of those election results. And even the election results which should have made me personally happy. One, because they were almost exactly as I told you they would be. And two, they dovetailed with what I was hoping for, which was a split between a Democratic House and a Republican Senate. Even those did not make me happy. And I'll explain why, and there's good reasons why I'm not pleased with what has transpired uh, in direct uh, reaction to those election results. As of right now... It looks as if Democrats are going to take more seats than were were anticipated election night. It's amazing how once a narrative gets set in stone, it's almost impossible to change that. But the narrative of election night was, well, this was a kind of a weak blue wave. It was a blue wave in the the House, but it was kind of weak. And, uh, of course, you know, the the Trumpkins in the so-called conservative now state-run media, they jumped all over that. Ah, this was no big deal. This is normal for the uh, first midterm election for a president. And, you know, the Democrats, yeah, they took control of the House, but they didn't really gain that many seats. Well, here in California alone, Democrats have flipped a couple of seats in just uh, the last day or so. And it seems like that's happening all over the country. So the bottom line here is I had predicted tentatively, very tentatively, that the Democrats would win 222 congressional seats in the House of Representatives, it looks like that number is going to be at least 230 and maybe a couple higher than that. Uh, And so they're going to have a pretty decent control of the House of Representatives, which is a big deal. But unfortunately, for reasons I'll get to in a a moment, uh, I'm not sure that that power is going to be used anything close to uh, what I was hoping for. And maybe that was a very naive hope, but I, I, I had no other options. Uh, so <laughs> beggars can't be choosers, and uh, that was the best hope we have. But I'm already, uh, just days later, feeling very pessimistic about how this is all going to go down. In the Senate, 
I told you that uh, the Republicans would probably end up with 53 seats and it would be no higher than 54, no lower than 52. Well, guess what looks like it's going to happen? It looks like uh, we're going to end up with 53 seats for Republicans in the Senate. Correct. Which is lower than what was perceived even the morning after, because Arizona, it appears, has flipped. And I got to tell you, not only was my prediction dead on on the Senate, I even told you how we were going to get to that number because I gave you four races. I said, if one party takes all four, then uh, that 52 to 54 number might be out of whack or will be on the edges of it. But if it splits 2-2, then we're going to end up at 53. I, I told you, Indiana, Missouri, Arizona, Nevada. Well, guess what? Republicans won Indiana and Missouri. It looks like Democrats have won Arizona and Nevada. That's two and two. So that split 2-2, and we ended up at 53. But just to show you what a moron I am and and the way my life works, kind of just for fun, I do do uh, these prediction bettings on the the site predictit.org, and I'm such a freaking moron that even though I nailed it, uh, in theory, I actually lost money on the on the prediction uh, markets because I tried to hedge my bets, thinking there's no way I'm going to be exactly right. And then when it turned out I was, I thought I was going to be wrong. I flipped all my bets, and then it turned back. I turned out I was right. So you know what the moral of the story is: believe in and trust your gut instincts, and stick with it. Because if you lose, at least you lost on your gut instinct. And here I am, nobody has lost more money being right than John Ziegler. It's a classic example of my whole life, but very uh, minuscule importance in the, in the uh, larger scheme of things. Now, um, I've already said that while I was right, and this is the scenario that I was looking, hoping for, the Democrats winning the House, Republicans keeping the Senate, I am not optimistic that this desperate scenario that I was hoping for is actually going to work. And let me explain why. I, and, I, and let's be clear. I had no delusions that this was anywhere close to a sure thing, right? I, I was very open to the idea that this was not going to work, but that there was no other scenario where I saw a path for anything possibly working. So the ideal scenario for what I was looking for here is Democrats take the House, There is now oversight over the Trump administration, but they don't have the Senate, so they can't ram anything they want through. And let's say if Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies and look what's just happened with her. She broke three ribs falling down this week. And by the way, I think you can make a fairly strong argument that if that happens a couple of days sooner, it, it impacts the election probably in a negative way towards Republicans. I think Florida, it's almost sure bet to me that if Ruth Gator Ginsburg falls down, let's say on Sunday, instead of on, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday, if that happens in that way, I think uh, Democrats take the Florida Senate seat because I think just enough Democrats decide we need to get the hell out because uh, Ruth Gator Bader Ginsburg is going to uh, keel over in the next couple of years, and uh, we're going to have a massive Supreme Court fight here. That's just a guess on my part, but it's just interesting to think about how life can change based upon the domino effect. Uh, and uh, so, you know, my, my goal here was make sure that if something happens 
on the Supreme Court side or in other areas in, uh, in, in that realm that for the next couple of years at least, Republicans hold the Senate. And that shouldn't Robert Mueller's re- uh, report or indictments or what have you warrant the impeachment of Donald Trump that Democrats would be able to ignite the impeachment process, that they would be able to impeach him because they, ha- they would have the votes, and that it would go to the Senate, and if the evidence was strong enough and the political circumstances warranted, those are two pretty big ifs, but they were certainly in the realm of possibility, that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell would look at the scene, look at the situation, and look, I know Mitch McConnell uh, pretty decently, having lived and worked in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I've attended a football game <laughs> with Mitch McConnell and uh, had some pretty extensive conversations with him. I've interviewed him. Uh, this is not a guy of principle. This is a guy who counts votes. He's a very, very good vote counter, and power is everything to him. So I'm not delusional to think that Mitch McConnell was going to be the guy to stand up for what was right and decide, you know what, uh, Mr. President, you got to go, and I now have uh, 20-some votes that will side with Democrats in an impeachment trial to remove you. Uh, that, that was never my thought process. My thought process was there could be a scenario where McConnell realized that he would be far better off and that the only way to salvage his Senate majority was to torch or backstab Donald Trump in 2019, get rid of him as president, have Mike Pence uh, be the president, uh, at least until uh, 2020. Who knows what would happen in the uh, presidential uh, primary process that would in- inevitably ensue, I would presume, uh, under those circumstances. But regardless, there was at least a chance. And again, I never thought this was anywhere near 50, even 50%. This was a low percentage. I don't know what I would have put on it. Maybe 10%, 15 20 who knows? But probably around the, the, the same percentage I put Donald Trump's election to begin all this uh, fiasco. Well, in just the last few days, it's clear to me that that 10 or 15% chance is basically zero. Basically. Correct. It's basically zero. And, and here's why. Because no one's going to end up doing the right thing here. everybody is making it very clear, abundantly obvious, that they're going to sell out for their own self-interest. Everybody. I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans, and this is one of the things I'm going to get into with Congressman Yarmouth in hour number two. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, the Democratic side. Nancy Pelosi is going to be the speaker. Now, part of my thought process here was, well, wait a minute, it's not sure that Nancy's going to be the speaker because let's say that she only they only win the house by a few votes most of those people coming in have have pledged to their voters that they're not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker so she doesn't have enough votes she she needs to get 218 votes to be speaker of the house she doesn't have those votes that's my thought process now it was always going to be difficult for someone to make themselves a viable alternative because, you know, in order to pull off a coup, you need a viable alternative for everybody to rush to. And so it was obvious to me that, you know, she could be speaker and she might even probably be speaker. But I thought there would at least be a fight over it. And now I don't even think there's going to be a fight over it. 
Because Nancy Pelosi, for, for as liberal as she is and as dumb as she can be, she is much like Mitch McConnell. She is really good at politics. And what I mean by politics is that she's really good at being able to figure out what she can do <clears throat> to get the votes that she needs. And what Nancy basically did here is that she said to those running, those uh, who were not incumbents, who were moderate Democrats, go ahead, throw me under the bus. Say that you're not going to vote for me. I don't know if this conversation ever happened, but it was a wink, wink, nod, nod. Go ahead, throw me under the bus because I know I'm unpopular with the middle of, of the country. You do whatever you need to do, and I'll just let the chips fall where they may. And Nancy's smart enough to know that possession is nine-tenths of the law, right, figuratively. And what's going to happen here is once we win, there's going to be such a good feeling about what we did. You know, I'm going to get some credit for for this. I certainly won't get any blame because we'll have won. And who's going to run against me? And this is really the key part of this. This is what she figured out, which is smart. In order for, for her to be the victim of a coup, you need someone that's going to run against her who's viable. Well, who are the people who could be theoretically viable? And let's face it, the Democrats don't have that many people. But who are the people that could be theoretically viable? Well, there are other prominent Democrats in the House. Well, other prominent Democrats in the House are doing what? They're all committee chairmen. Or right now, they're the ranking committee chairmen. They're all hoping that when they take the House, they're going to get elevated to committee chairman as opposed to ranking member. That is a huge deal in their lives. John Yarmouth is one of those people. He's the ranking member on the budget committee. John Yarmouth is now going to be the chairman of the budget committee. Why? Because Nancy Pelosi is going to bless that. So all the other people who would be in a theoretical position to move in a coup against her or support a coup against her have something big to lose that she's in control of. So no one's going to go after the queen unless they're sure the queen is going to lose. Because if they go after the queen and it doesn't work, guess what's going to happen? They're going to lose their committee chairmanship. And that's a huge deal in the life of all of these people. John Yarmouth's life, God love him, one of my best friends in the world, is going to be very different, very different, because he is the chairman of the budget committee now. And that's because of Nancy Pelosi. So not only is Pelosi going to be elected, and I'll get to the idea that Donald Trump promised her votes in a minute, which is just just unbelievable i mean it's it's just flat out ridiculous uh, but we're living in that world now i so not only is she going to be the next speaker she's going to be the next speaker without a legitimate fight now maybe maybe i i I think it's possible she might not win on the first ballot because she says well look you know you new freshmen go ahead and uh, vote against me on the first ballot republicans won't have enough votes to get anybody else in and then on the second ballot you'll say well we had no choice nancy was going to win anyway so we needed to make sure a republican didn't uh, get the speakership and so they'll be able to spin it that way 
So why is this important? Well, this is important for the reason I've already just alluded to, which is now Donald Trump, the deal maker, uh, I believe is in the mode of potentially doing what Arnold Schwarzenegger did here in California, which has always been my biggest concern about Donald Trump. I said from the very, very start of his campaign, or when it looked like he could win, I said, this guy is a liberal who, when push comes to shove, will turn right back into a liberal the moment that it's in his self-interest to do so. And that's what Donald Schwarzenegger did here. And I called that at my old radio show in KFI in Los Angeles before anybody else did. Everybody in talk radio was so gung-ho, yay Arnold, yay Arnold. And he called a special election a year into his governorship where he was going to blow up all the boxes and change the way Sacramento works. And he put these propositions on the ballot and they all lost. And the next day he held a press conference and oh my God, he was a different person. His balls were completely gone. Uh, He is basically now taking orders from his wife, Maria Shriver. uh, And he was a liberal Democrat from then on out. And look what has happened to the Republican Party here in California since then. Total, complete devastation. Like the wildfires in Malibu right now. That's what happened to the Republican Party after Arnold Schwarzenegger caved and became a liberal Democrat. I believe Donald Trump is capable of doing exactly the same thing. And for him to go on Twitter, and a lot of people thought he was joking. I love how the Colt 45 crowd... They'll come up with any possible rationalization for anything he does. Correct. It's pathetic. Correct. Uh, But, you know, of course, Trump. I love the poorly educated. They will presume the best intentions or the the greatest political maneuver uh, strategically that they can possibly uh, interpret anything he does is having. And I, so he jokes on what looked like it could have been a joke on Twitter the morning after the election that if Nancy Pelosi needs Republican votes to become the next speaker, that he'll provide them for her. And I got that people could see that as trolling. Like, that's expert trolling, right? And I could even get that people might think that that's a reasonable strategic thing to do because from a political standpoint, you need a boogeyman. And Nancy Pelosi is a built-in boogeyman. So you can, if she's the speaker, now you can blame her for everything. It's going to be bullshit, but you can blame her for everything. And Republicans and the state-run media will buy it completely. I get that. But then there was that batshit crazy press conference that Trump held. And let's be clear, it was bat-fucking-shit crazy. The craziest he's ever held, the craziest that any any forget forget about Republican any any president has ever held at least in the modern history of this country and I'll get to that shortly but at that press conference he goes out of his way to say he was not joking on Twitter that he really likes Nancy Pelosi that he wants her to be speaker that he thinks he can do deals with her that's really scary correct because Remember, Trump is a lifelong liberal Manhattanite, a Democrat, a man who bragged on Meet the Press as being 
very pro-choice. He has no conservative principles. I doubt he has any principles, period. But he has no conservative principles. So now someone he likes, and let's be clear, you know, and I tweeted this this week, and it's amazing to me that this has gotten, it got no play in the Republican primaries in 2016, and very few people have even bothered to notice it. But Nancy Pelosi has made public a framed cover of the newspaper of her taking the speakership back in, what was it, 2007, where the paper is signed by Donald Trump, Dear Nancy, you're the greatest. So Trump took a newspaper. By the way, how, what of an egomaniac you have to be to even think about doing this. He takes the newspaper, he signs it, Nancy, you're the greatest, and sends it to her. Now, whether he said he's so cheap, I doubt he sent it to her framed. But, you know, let's pretend he's allegedly a billionaire. Let's pretend that he actually sent it to her framed because I doubt Nancy would have bothered to frame it. So maybe he did send it to her framed. Maybe he decided to really be generous. And he, he sends it to her framed and she displays it. Now, that should be alarming. But, of course, to the Cult 45 group, oh, no, no, he's playing 18-dimensional chess. This is We, we trust him. He's, he's never going to sell us out. Really? Where's your fucking wall, morons? I mean, he, it's, uh, what happened to Obamacare? Where, where's Obamacare? Oh, that was John McCain's fault. Bullshit. It was not John McCain's fault. If John McCain had trusted Donald Trump even a little bit, he would have voted to, to kill Obamacare in that famous vote. But he was not, that, was, that whole vote, as I was, I've explained in the past, and I'm not going to get into it right now, has been completely misconstrued. And the Colt 45 group thinks, and, tr- and Trump, of course, uh, promotes this bullshit narrative, that it was John McCain's fault that Obamacare didn't get repealed. No, it was not. That was not John, John McCain did the right thing there. Because that, that would have been a disaster even bigger than what Obamacare is and will be. But anyway, the point here is, Trump made it very, very clear. No, I want to deal with Nancy Pelosi. And Pelosi, in her press conference, made it clear to me that that's what she wants, too. That she, and I, I have, I've worried about this for almost two years now. I've always wondered, okay, if Democrats get the House back, are they going to do the right thing? Or are they going to sell out and use their leverage over a scared, shitless Trump to get a few shekels. To get a, you know an infrastructure bill passed or some sort of bullshit. And it's very obvious to me from the, the press conference that Nancy Pelosi held and from even comments from my, my friend John Yarmouth, which I'm going to confront him about in hour number two, that that's where they're leaning right now. Now, could that change if uh, Mueller comes back out with a bombshell or two yeah but it's hard for me to even understand what would be the bombshell at this point we already know so much that should already be a foundation for impeachment so it's hard for me to imagine what else Mueller could could theoretically have other than connecting all the dots which is important but unfortunately way beyond the comprehension of the average voter here i love the poorly educated so it's clear that Trump wants to deal with Pelosi. He, he made an interesting threat, by the way. He, he's doing this a little bit differently than Schwarzenegger did 
maybe even smarter than what Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger basically waved the white flag, bent over, and pulled his pants down. Uh, Trump, at least, is pretending to have a threat against the House. I didn't understand what the threat was. He was basically threatening, hey, if you investigate me, we can investigate you. What? 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 I don't even... I don't understand that, but it, but he's he's at least playing a game where it's hey look uh, you, you're going to want to deal with me rather than go after me, and that's an argument that based upon Pelosi's words and mentality and their past relationship, I think she might go for. Now she's going to have a problem with her base because her base, as we saw with the protect Mueller rallies this week, which were amazing. Uh, is not going to be satisfied with uh, just getting a few shekels uh, out of uh, Trump's pockets with a with a you know a, a robust uh, infrastructure bill. That that's not that's not what they fought for here. That's not what they won this election for. So this is not going to be simple for uh, Pelosi, but I think it's it's where she would like to go with this. And with Pelosi on the one side feeling like it's better for her politically to deal with Trump and with McConnell making it very obvious that he is not going to be the hero. And and to be clear, McConnell made that obvious the next day when he warned Democrats about the perils, the political perils of presidential harassment, as he called it, presidential harassment. This is the same guy who um, fervently uh, led the impeachment or helped lead uh, as a whip, I believe, at that time, the impeachment of Bill Clinton and was and voted in favor of it. And, and the allegations against Clinton, whilst very serious, in my view, were nowhere near what we're talking about with Donald Trump on, on a number of levels. And so <laughs> so. McConnell says uh, to the Democrats, you might want to think about this presidential harassment and whether or not it's going to be good for you politically. By the way, it, it is one of those great fallacies. It's a total BS narrative that somehow Republicans suffered greatly for impeaching Bill Clinton. It's, a, it's, a, it's remarkable to me how the, the power of perception and setting a narrative, as I always talk about. Once the narrative is set, you can't change it. Let's just look at history. Republicans won, which was very, very rare for Republicans. In fact, it's the first time I think it had ever happened in three consecutive uh, cycles. In 1998, Republicans won the House of Representatives. Now, they lost a few seats. And people blame that on impeachment because they didn't do as well as they expected. Okay, big deal. You still controlled the House. And oh, by the way, you still controlled it in 2000. And your presidential candidate won the election. Now, it was by only a few votes in Florida. But it's not like Republicans went on a losing streak after the impeachment of Bill Clinton. They did not. Was it closer than they would have liked? Yeah. But th- th- this notion that somehow Republicans suffered greatly for impeaching Bill Clinton is just not true. But more importantly, why is McConnell doing this? I mean, he knows that no Democrat's going to be- you know, Oh, my gosh. We really need to heed the advice of Mitch McConnell. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But he's making it 
very obvious that he has no appetite for this, that he is going to protect Donald Trump at all costs. And if there was any, any doubt about that, it's his utter lack of reaction to the firing of Jeff Sessions, his former colleague in the Senate, as Attorney General, and the appointment of Matt Whitaker, a total goon, a goon, being installed likely in an unconstitutional fashion, usurping the power of whom? Mitch McConnell. Because Whitaker, in replacing Sessions as Attorney General, has not been confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Now, there's, a, there's apparently a, a constitutional argument that could be made here, but a lot of conservatives have already come out and said no. This is unconstitutional. Remember when that used to matter to to conservatives? Remember when Mark Levin used to spend hours and hours talking about the importance of constitutional principles and defending them at all costs? Yeah, that was all bullshit. That was all bullshit because we never anticipated that one of our guys was going to be the guy pissing all over the Constitution. Well, it's a Mitch McConnell, to my knowledge, has said nothing. Crickets in response to this action. So McConnell, who I actually thought naively was going to be in a position of power here. Of course, that was partially when I thought we might, the Republicans might end up with, notice how I'm having trouble using we anymore. (laughs) Boy, this is no strange world. Uh, When Republicans, I thought might take as many as 55 seats when things were really looking good for the Republican Party in the Senate. So when when it was going to be 54, 55, I'm thinking, wow, McConnell's really in the driver's seat now. Now that it's at best going to be 53, now his margin is is significantly lower. And that, that is a big difference, by the way. I mean, every single one you get over 50 is exponentially more important, but or less to a point of diminishing marginal returns. But the point is, McConnell has acted exactly the opposite that I of the way that I was hoping for, and I don't sense that it's a bluff. Look, I mean, there's a part of me that's always hope against hope, thinking there's there, there's got to be a path. I mean, I, I am stubborn that way. There's got to be a path, and and I I never give up, and, and as long, until I don't see any path at all. I don't give up. And so I guess theoretically there's still a chance. Maybe he's bluffing. Maybe he's holding his cards close to the vest to the right time. I don't believe that, especially since I'm not seeing the fire on the left that I, that I would need to see for this thing to, to go as it should. Now, again, there's a possibility that maybe they're just waiting until Mueller shows all of his cards. That is possible, but the first reviews are not good. And this is this is this gambit is not going to work, and and right now I I think the most likely scenario, and it, you know there's a lot of ifs here. You know what does Mueller do? Does the economy stay good? But all things being equal, I see this being as much more of an Arnold Schwarzenegger scenario, where Republicans just get completely screwed by this president, and then McConnell ends up being essentially the ultimate goalkeeper, which is why I think it's fallacy for Democrats to think that they can get anything through other than an infrastructure bill. I mean, the idea of getting something through on immigration is absurd. 
the the idea uh you know even though trump clearly has a lot more street cred than he deserves with the base on that issue so that does create a danger but i just i just don't believe that mcconnell's going to cave on that um and but other than that uh, I, I certainly the the biggest fear the biggest fear is that they somehow jam down single-payer health care that under the guise of removing Obamacare, you actually get Obamacare on steroids. That is the biggest danger. And I could see Democrats happily exchanging impeachment in exchange for that. I just can't believe the Republican Senate is going to go along with that. Not because of their admiration for Donald Trump. I mean, that's, you know, people have always... Overestimated the willingness of the Senate to stand up to Trump, and now there's there's no Jeff Flake, there's there's no Bob Corker, so there's Joe, no John McCain. All that we got is Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney's balls have shrunken into you know little peas. So uh, you know I, I am fully aware that Trump is able to manipulate uh, individual Republicans pretty much whatever way he wants. It's just really that would really be hard for me to believe that that a, a Republican Senate, which got elected largely, almost all of them at some point, on the pledge of, of eliminating Obamacare, would end up passing single-payer health care. But you know what? We're living in such a crazy, fucked-up world. Maybe that is possible. Maybe I'm underestimating the, the upside-down nature of everything. But bottom line, I, I am exceedingly pessimistic about how this is all going to turn out because there is also by the way not a shred of evidence that any of trump's base holds him responsible for having lost the house they think he did a great job in this campaign they think he won because he told them that he won by the way did he act like he won at that press conference the next morning did that seem like a winner to you Forget about what he was saying. Use your brains, folks. Did that seem like a guy who had won? That was the worst winning press conference in history. He came out very subdued. I mean, if Jeb Bush had given that uh, statement, it would have been low-energy Jeb. Uh, But he was very subdued. He was also beyond narcissistic and vengeful. Even for him. Correct. The, the, the moment of the most asinine, imbecilic narcissism that I have ever seen, maybe from anybody in public office, although there were so many examples to choose from, but if I had to pick one, was when he listed by name the Republican congresspeople who lost because they failed to suck his cock properly. I'm sorry. That's the only way. That's the only way to describe it. I mean, and 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 when he specifically went after Mia Love, a a former Fox News heroine, a black female congresswoman from Utah, from Utah, we've got a black female congress. It is Utah, right? I mean. I'm like 90% sure it's Utah. Can you, Kevin, can you check that for a second? But, so, so we've got a black female congressman, and which is a miracle, and 
he not only targets her because apparently she didn't embrace him enough. Uh, it is Utah. Um, and she didn't embrace him enough. And so, but the, 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 this gets so much worse than just doing that. Technically, at the time he did that, she still had a theoretical chance to win. I don't even think she had conceded yet. It was still at least close enough to where, you know, you, you don't stick a, a dagger in her heart. Again, this is supposedly his own party. But then the worst part of the whole thing was with venom dripping out of the sides of his mouth. Trump describes how Mia Love had had the audacity not to embrace him enough after he had done his best to help her with some Venezuelan hostages. And that therefore somehow him doing his presidential duty, which is all she was asking him to do, for him to go out of his way, you know, he probably had to stop watching Fox and Friends one morning to, to actually go and do something about this because he had done his presidential duty on at her urging that this somehow, in his mind, his diseased mind, this meant that she was supposed to, what? Jeopardize her own electoral prospects by making sure that she praised him publicly up and down and appeared with him or, or campaigned based upon her support of him. That's illness, folks. That's an illness. And that was in full display at this crazy press conference. And I wrote a column about the insane press conference and how the media blew it. Because the media, they, they take this bait every single time. They, they take the bait and uh, and they and they do it out of their own self-interest. And Trump, the idiot savant that he is, uses this to his own advantage because he and the media are the same. They're the same in personality. They're the same in what drives them. They're the same when it comes to narcissism, wanting attention, wanting to be famous. And so the press gets what they want, and Trump gets what he wants, which was a fight. He desperately needed a fight. He was like a wounded animal in a corner who needed to show his herd who was still boss, that he was still big and strong. He needed some way, some way to flex his muscles. So he did that in clearly contrived fight with the media. And you can check the, those columns out. I wrote a column reviewing the win, winners and losers of the midterms, as well as my analysis of that press conference. In fact, two columns analyzing that press conference uh, at freespeechbroadcasting.com. The second column about that press conference was specifically about the Jim Acosta controversy. And that was totally contrived. I mean, again, the, the Trump 45 crowd is so dumb. Uh, they think that it's just a coincidence that uh, very early on in this hour and a half long press conference or whatever it was, very early on, who does Trump decide to call on? Jim Acosta. Now, he damn right well obviously knows who Jim Acosta is. He's, he's battled with him many times. He disdains Jim Acosta. Frankly, I disdain him for different reasons because I think he's a grandstanding jackass. All right. And, and I don't think he really cares that much about the truth. I think he cares about Jim Acosta. Uh, you know, as people often say on Twitter, 
in, in your love life, may you one day find someone who loves you the same way that Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta. I mean, that, that's, that's Jim Acosta, all right? So Trump picks on Jim Acosta and obviously does so because he wants to provoke a fight. That's what he wants. And Jim Acosta probably knows this or doesn't care. And so he's pursuing his self-interest. They're both getting exactly what they want here. You know, Shakespeare famously wrote, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are just players, merely players. Well, that's what's happening here. This is an act. This is, this is an act. Trump calls on Acosta looking for a confrontation. Acosta wants to show the world how against Donald Trump he is and willing to stand up and fight and ask the tough questions. And, uh, you know, Trump escalates it. And then they, the, the intern tries to take back the microphone. And that, that supposedly later on becomes an assault. Now, part of me almost gives the White House a little bit of credit for the, the uh, superhuman trolling of being the people who defended Brett Kavanaugh and who are now saying, but wait, whoa, we have an assault here, an assault of this poor intern as Jim Acosta touched her while trying to protect his microphone. Please, please. It's just flat out ridiculous. That's not what happened. I don't know whether or not that video was doctored or not. I think so. I think it's possible that it was not doctored, that uh, that in transforming it to a, a, a GIF or a GIF or a GIF, whatever the hell you want to call it, that somehow it made it look like it uh, got uh, doctored, that the White House uh, shared from InfoWars. But the, re- the reality is Acosta did nothing wrong. He was just trying to keep his microphone. He was very polite to the woman. Um, <laughs> although it is funny now, and this is this is the genius of Trump, He's gotten the left to completely defend a white male <laughs> in an assault claim against a woman uh, who, you know, it's on video. And and, the, and now the left is saying, no, 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 she wasn't assaulted. Well, I, I do think it's quite possible that if the political circumstances were different, if uh, let's say Acosta was from Fox News and this happened with Barack Obama, my guess is that the liberal media would not be nearly as as willing to rush to the defense of of the reporter in this particular situation. But therein lies the biggest problem in all this. And I wrote an extensive column, which I do hope you'll check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, about why it is that conservatives or Republicans will not rush to the cause of Jim Acosta. Now, as a free speech and a free press advocate, I, I have to defend Jim Acosta. It is absurd for his press credentials to be taken away under the circumstances that they were, because they were clearly taken away as nothing more than a a personal vendetta by the President of the United States. And that's totally wrong. And that's dangerous. The President of the United States should not be allowed to choose who gets to cover and who doesn't get to cover the White House because he likes or dislikes them. Unless unless we're going to live in a, in, a, in a dictatorship. Unless we're going to allow a president to be a tyrant, uh, which I'm still not willing to accept. So that being said, the reason why, the main reason why, where conservatives or Republicans will not buy into this. This is our sacred duty to hold the president accountable, to speak truth to power and to ask tough questions. Yeah, yeah, that would have, um, I might have bought that 
like uh, 10, 11 years ago. But do you guys not remember when this guy by the name of Barack Obama started running for president and you started uh, swooning and then you got down on your knee pads and you started to blow him and then that that fellatio uh, continued for basically nine years uninterrupted. Do you remember that? You couldn't ask any questions because your mouth was full of his penis. I mean, that's that's basically what was happening with very few exceptions among the mainstream media for nine years. So you can't, you don't get to do that, folks. You don't get to say, this is our sacred duty. We're just doing this for the Constitution and for the good of all. Bullshit. Because you didn't do it. You went into hibernation. The grizzly bear went into hibernation for nine freaking years. And then suddenly, just coincidentally, wakes up the morning after Donald Trump gets elected. Oh, by the way, after telling us how awesome Trump is for the entire primaries of 2016 and really kind of taking it easy on him during the general election, too, because it was good for you, because it was in your self-interest. No, not buying not buying. You gave up your virginity. You hoard yourself out. Now you don't get to get your virginity back. So I get it. And it's one of the, it's an indication of the, the problem that we're in here. Because no, the other side will never believe anything that the, the opposing side says. And I understand it. And, you know, I've seen a lot of joking on Twitter this week about, okay, the only way to fix this is with a time machine. I agree. That's about the only way we can fix this is we need a hero with a time machine. Finding a hero might be actually more difficult than finding a time machine, by the way, in this day and age. But we need a hero with a time machine because otherwise there's no fixing this. And the Jim Acosta situation uh, proves that. Then, of course, right after this batshit crazy press conference, Trump decides to fire Jeff Sessions. And... um, now things are getting real. And let's be clear. Trump fired his first major endorser. The main reason why my former co-host, Leah Brandon, decided to like Donald Trump was because she loved Jeff Sessions. Now, Leah's living in Alabama, but I don't think she's alone. I mean, that was a big deal. And Donald Trump didn't just shit all over Jeff Sessions. Uh he, he, he waits until after the midterms, the morning after the midterms, to fire him. Let's be, be clear. It was a firing. All because Jeff Sessions refused to recuse or did recuse himself from the Russian investigation, which he absolutely should have done, but without telling Donald Trump. And of the many bizarre statements that Trump has made about this, this was his explanation well before he fired Jeff Sessions about why Jeff Sessions did the wrong thing. Jeff Sessions recused himself, which he shouldn't have done, or he should have told me. Even my enemies say that Jeff Sessions should have told you that he was going to recuse himself, and then you wouldn't have put him in. He took the job, and then he said, I'm going to recuse myself. I said, what kind of a man is this? What kind of a man is this? That is so... um incredibly important to understanding Donald Trump's mindset because it is all, all about him and nothing else. Correct. I mean, imagine that the only reason you would have picked or not picked an attorney general was to protect 
you with regard to the Russian investigation. Because that's it. I mean, the, the, Trump says he would not have picked him. What does that tell you? That To me, that is as good of evidence as you're ever going to find that Trump has to be guilty of something in relation to this. Because an innocent man would never think that this was so important that he needed his attorney general to be in charge of the investigation to protect him. People, can we please use your brains? This is as close to a guilty plea as you're going to find. Trump felt as if he needed to... Now, he's a control freak, right? Which, by the way, is also related to the Russian investigation. He's such a control freak, there's no fucking way his son, his campaign chair, and his son-in-law met with the Russian representatives in Trump Tower without him knowing about it, folks. Okay, so so he's such a control freak. He needed, he's been going crazy for the last year and a half because he's not in control of the Russian investigation. Now, part of that's the psychological control freak thing, but also part of it is he's afraid. Now, why would he be afraid? He's the president of the United States. He's got a cult of 35% at least of the American people that will believe anything he says. And he's got a conservative media industrial complex state run that will will back him up on everything. He can't be railroaded. He's got a Republican who's in charge of the investigation, Robert Mueller. The only reason he could be that scared is he's done something wrong. And for him to fire Jeff Sessions and treat him the way that he did is beyond disgraceful. And then to replace him with a goon and a thug named Matt Whitaker, who's not qualified in an unconstitutional fashion, all because Whitaker has made it clear he's against the Mueller investigation, is dangerous. It's actually, depending on how Whitaker does his job, which will probably be as we anticipate, I believe it's worse than the Comey firing. And and potentially more of an example of obstruction of justice and an impeachable offense partially because of the unconstitutional nature of his appointment, then was the firing of James Comey as FBI director, although they're very, very similar. Whitaker does not belong in this job, even if he was in favor of the Russian probe and the Mueller investigation. He is not qualified. He He's done infomercials, this guy. Infomercials. He's been involved in a firm that has uh, paid a lot of money for scamming vets. Uh, this this is a guy. Just watch him for two minutes on cable news television. He is not of the timber of an attorney general of the United States of America. He's a thug, and, and Trump is now trying to claim he doesn't even know him, which is just a flat out lie. Trump has said himself that he knew him, liked him. Of course, he watched him on Fox News and other cable news networks supporting him. I mean, there's no chance in the world that a guy goes on national television, says uh, from a conservative perspective or some semi-conservative perspective that Robert Mueller is full of crap and I don't, I think the whole investigation is, is wrong and Trump not know about it. But he, so he's lying about whether or not he even knows Whitaker and... Um, and, and to me, at this point, we have to presume the worst. We keep, we keep giving the benefit of the doubt. Like, 
all these rumors over time. Well, he's going to fire Sessions after the election. Well, that would be outrageous. I mean, he's hiding that he's going to fire Sessions until the day after the election. And then it happens. And the general reaction is, well, we knew this was going to happen. What's the big deal? What? If someone tells you they're going to commit a crime, and I'm not saying this is directly a crime necessarily, but if they're going to do something wrong, does that necessarily mean that it's okay now if you knew about it? If you knew about it for a long enough period of time, does that absolve them from responsibility? Seriously? But actually, this is the genius of Donald Trump. Donald Trump understands that the best way to deal with a scandal is to lie, lie, lie. Because by the time people understand it's a lie, they won't care anymore. They will have processed in their brains. The outrage will be gone over being pissed off about being lied to and whatever that was that the scandal was based on in the first place. So when the outrage is gone and people have accepted it, it's built in, baked into the cake, by the time they realize for sure that it's a lie, it no longer matters. We're seeing the same thing with the Wall Street Journal expose yesterday proving that Donald Trump knew damn right well and led a conspiracy to usurp campaign finance laws in order to pay off his mistresses, Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, during the 2016 campaign. That expose alone in a pre-2016 world would have torched any other Republican president. That would be all anyone was talking about. Republicans in the House and the Senate would be forced to abandon him, and I believe in short order he would resign. In any other situation, any other Republican president, it would be over. This story is not even going to resonate, even though it was in the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal was owned by the same company as Fox News Channel. So you can't claim, oh, fake news, fake news. This is all fake news. It's not fake news. It's the truth. Correct. It's, it is, it, it's overwhelming, the evidence. And... <laughs> And yet we're so desensitized that even the Matt Whitaker thing, it's kind of like, eh, he gets to do what he wants because he's the president. No, he does not. He is not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He's the president who just lost the House of Representatives. And as far as who's going to eventually take over as attorney general, you know, there's talk of Chris Christie, who is effectively a fat Matt Whitaker. I I mean, after what he pulled... Remember that beach stunt that he did when he was still governor of New Jersey? And interestingly, it's funny, on the very same day that he started to get touted as the next attorney general, his old friend, Craig Carton, a well-known sports radio talk show host, got convicted on dozens of counts of fraud and in a Ponzi scheme and is now facing up to, I think, 45 years in prison, although unfortunately he's not going to get all that. Chris Christie was part of that allegation. Chris Christie let Craig Carton hold parties at the governor's mansion in New Jersey as part of his effort to create this scam. Now, I don't know if Christie had any knowledge of it, but he enabled it. It was his relationship with Carton that Carton used to be able to convince people that he was legit. And I know Craig Carton, by the way. I've written about Craig Carton Google me, Craig Carton, and, and Mediate. I, I worked briefly with Craig Carton as a sports talk show host in Philadelphia at WIP. This is what a scumbag Chris, uh, Craig Carton is. I was um, doing overnights uh, at uh, WIP, 
And it was weird how they did the schedules. So I didn't do it every single night. But most nights, I was the overnight guy. For whatever reason, Craig Carton was doing an overnight shift. And it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I got a call from Craig Carton during a commercial break. Woke me up. You know, sleep was very valuable to me at that time when you're doing overnights. And he said, um, hey, Zig, uh, can you do me a favor? Um, my wife is about to give birth. Can you come in to fill in the rest of my shift? Now, I'm a nice guy. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, okay, I'll, let me get dressed. I'll, I'll drive into the studio. I, I rush in. I get there in record time. And I can tell he's not like acting like a guy whose wife is about to give birth. Uh, and so I take over the shift, I don't know, probably at 3 a.m. or something, and I finish it off at uh, whatever we finished it off, I, I think 5, 5.30. And I'm thinking I did a good deed. Well, it turned out, um, yeah, there was no uh, wife giving birth. Uh, and uh, you know who ended up getting in trouble in that whole deal? Me. Uh, the, the asshole in charge of the station, Tom Bigby, uh, who's, a, who's a famous asshole, um, he uh, contacted me and said, what the hell were you doing uh, doing Craig Carton's shift last night? I said, he told me his wife was giving birth. What did you want me to do? Contact you in the middle of the night to, to get approval? He says, you should never have believed anything Craig Carton told you. And by the way, this is a guy who Tom Bigby made a star in talk radio. And this is important, not just because it's a funny story. This tells you a lot about the nature of talk radio, folks. These are the people that are stars in this business because this business is a business. It's a business disguised as a cause. And it's the same mentality. In fact, it's many of the same people running the political talk element of this business than the sports talk. And Craig Carton, by the way, would get into a lot of very serious political issues as well, which is how he got buddy-buddy with Chris Christie in New Jersey. So this, this is emblematic of the way this... This scam of talk radio works and why I'm thrilled to be out of it, especially in the Trump era. So thank God Craig Carton got uh, convicted and, and may he spend many years rotting in prison before immediately going to hell. Um, as far as the, the uh, Wall Street Journal piece, there's one thing I really need to mention because this gets lost all the time. Uh, and it's really important. I've written about this, but it's, it's remarkable how often the media blows the big story. They get so often bogged down in the details uh, and they miss the, you know, the forest through the trees, if you will. The biggest story, part of the Wall Street Journal story and his relationship with the National Enquirer. And boy, I feel as vindicated by this whole situation as anything else that has vindicated me during the 2016 election. If you were following the old John and Leah Sunday night show at that time, I kept harping on the National Enquirer is an arm of the Trump campaign. Well, that has turned out to be 110%. Correct. Uh, in fact, worse than I ever imagined. Because they even had a meeting between Trump and Pecker, the, the uh, head of the National Enquirer, so that they could set this up. Now, why is this important? One, it's unseemly beyond comprehension, and it's lying. That used to matter. That doesn't matter anymore. Trump has obliterated lying from, from the list of sins, which is just mind-blowing. But here's the part that everyone misses. He knowingly took the oath of office as President of the United States while being able to, by allowing himself to be blackmailed by the National Enquirer. 
which is effectively an organized crime organization. That's what the National Enquirer is. That's how they act. Ask Tiger Woods what they did to him. They are an organized crime outfit. And Trump took the oath of office as president knowing that he willingly allowed the National Enquirer to have compromising information on him, to having blackmail information on him. And by the way, I have no proof of this at all, but how do we know that the National Enquirer, because this cost them some money, this whole deal. National Enquirer, this cost them some money on behalf of Donald Trump because they, they, uh, you know, they killed this story with Karen McDougal, and they probably killed other stories. They paid Karen McDougal $150,000 for nothing, basically. They, they gave up. Uh, there was opportunity cost and all these great stories that they decided not to go with because they were protecting Trump. How do we know that they didn't sell their file on Donald Trump to a foreign government? Think about that, folks. I know you'd think about it if it was Hillary, but suddenly, for some reason, Trump fans, they shut off their brains completely in a cynical fashion. The National Enquirer could sell that information for millions and millions of dollars. How do we know they didn't? How do we know they didn't do it to Russia? How do we know that? Ever see anything negative about Vladimir Putin in the National Enquirer? I can't ever remember seeing it. How do we know that? But, you know, the, 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 the principle of this used to matter. That you can't, you can't take the oath of office knowing, willingly, making yourself vulnerable to being blackmailed by a crime outfit? This is not a media outfit. The National Enquirer is not a media organization. you got to stop thinking about it that way. It is an organized crime syndicate. <sighs> Last uh, couple things before we go. i got to mention about the Thousand Oaks shooting. This was remarkably similar to the Las Vegas situation. Remarkably similar. Country music circumstances, western part of the country, uh, senseless, no apparent motive. And we now know from social media posts while the shooting was going on that he was saying he did this because he was bored and wanted some excitement and that he hopes people call him insane because that's not really what's going on. And you know what? What really gives me chills, what's really scary is, I tend to believe it. I tend to believe that that's what really happened here because that was my assessment immediately in the Las Vegas massacre, and I have been, I believe, proven right there. I think that that guy in Las Vegas was basically having uh, you know, this, this great suicide party that he gave himself, and he got a cheap thrill out of killing all these people before he killed himself. Same exact thing happened to this guy. I'm not sure this was PTSD from having served in the Marines. I think this is way scarier than even that. And uh, I'm living so close to there, and as I've already mentioned, a couple people being very uh, close to where I live, um, being victims of this, it really literally hit home. Uh, but uh, that the motive element here is incredibly scary because there's nothing we can do about this, and I think it's going to happen more and more especially as people don't believe in an afterlife, don't believe in a God that's going to punish them after they die. So anyway, um, last thing I'll say on the fires. Um, you know, a lot of focus has been happen, uh, been focusing on Calabasas because of the Kardashians and uh, on Malibu because of the celebrities. And, and this is not a, a big problem, but I have seen it's our nature to now be very smug 
about rich people and saying snarky things on Twitter. Yeah, a lot of rich people are going to lose their homes, and that shouldn't matter to anybody anyway. I mean, it's someone's home is their life often. But we tend to disregard it because, oh, they're super rich. It's not a big deal to them. One of the things you need to understand about uh, California is that oftentimes some rather poor people or middle-class people are living right next to super rich people because of our property tax circumstances here. Let's say you bought a house in Malibu in like the 60s or the 70s when it was dirt cheap. You have a huge incentive to not sell that house because of the property taxes that you're not paying. You're basically paying no property tax because it's based upon what you bought the house for. And so a lot of the people that are being destroyed here are not the super rich. So please keep that in mind as um, you think about what's going on here in this uh, horrendous, horrendous uh, situation. And uh, by the next time I talk to you, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming I will know uh, what's going on with the rental property that we have uh, uh, in uh, Calabasas. And if that goes down, um, you know, that's going to be a big, 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 big problem for the Ziegler family. So I, I don't believe in prayer, but if you could at least give me some good thoughts, that would be much appreciated, as would be uh, the only other two things that I ever ask of you. And, and this week I'm really asking this for you because this took me a long time to get to the studio this week because of the fires. I had to pay $15 for parking. Uh, because we're doing this on a special on a Saturday to make sure this occurs. And my life's been a living hell. So please do one of two things. Share this via social media or word of mouth, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. I would really appreciate it. And number two, make sure you – actually, three things. Number two, make sure you listen to our number two with Congressman John Yarmouth. And number three, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get 